Good morning, everybody. Oh, so good to be back with everybody again. Uh, we did have a, a wonderful vacation. We were very thankful uh, that you were able to allow us to, uh, to head out to Carolina Beach. Um, we drove down very, very early on Sunday the 2nd. Uh, about 4 o'clock in the morning is when we got on the road because we didn't want to hit any of the traffic. Anybody hate beach traffic? Yeah. Um, and uh, we were able to just enjoy each other's company. Wendy was able to sleep well because everybody was in the same house at the same time. And the kids weren't going off to different places of the world. They were all together. And mom, her mother hen... Uh, uh, sleep cycle was much, uh, much nicer for that week. Uh, and of course, now all of her kids are all over again, and now she's not sleeping well. But um, helps if I turn that on. I told you I'd forget how to do that. But this is, uh, these are a couple of things that we did. Of course, we, uh, we went out to dinner and bought, Tom bought actually a, a shirt I never thought he'd buy. Um, <laughs> and wore it in public. Um, <laughs> So he's getting old, like me. Um, but uh, one of the things that we loved to do, we loved to go down to the beach. And uh, we went down there uh, during the day. We went down there sometimes at night. Fourth of July, we were down there. We played some, uh, some beach games. And people were, uh, they had this kind of dueling fireworks display going on on the beach. This group down here and this group down here. And they were shooting off fireworks and everything. So it was really nice. We swam in the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, we sat and just watched people. We watched uh, our boys swim in the ocean. We hunted for seashells. We hunted for sharks' teeth. Didn't find any sharks' teeth, much to Wendy's disappointment, but we'll try again next year. Um, I actually got this shell. I found this and had a hole already in it, so I made a little necklace for myself uh, with a seashell. Um, but we noticed a lot of, uh, of variety on the beach. You see this one day where the water was just this really beautiful turquoise color, and other days it was just this really ugly, murky, ocean-like water. Um, and we noticed all kinds of variety. Even on the shore, um, there, were, there, there was this area right off of where we were sitting where the ocean sort of formed this little lagoon. So you kind of walked out and it kind of dropped off and you could swim for a while and then you could swim to the other side and then stand back up on a sandbar. And of course that wasn't there every day, but it was there like one day, maybe a day and a half. And it was just incredible watching all of this great variety. And as, as, as I was sitting there looking at all this and experiencing all this, I thought about what, what kind of variety God has created He's created variety in nature. We're, we're sitting there, we're, we're, we're watching people walk by, and tall people, short people, thin people, not so thin people, old people, young people, and just having a wonderful time just kind of checking out God's creation and seeing all of the things that He has created. And these are some seashells that I found, and I even just looked at those when we got home, and, and yesterday I pulled them out and I was looking at them and just all of the different variety of shells, and they say, they say there are literally millions of kinds of, of shells and stones in the ocean. And it was just, it became overwhelming to me to think of all of this variety, to think that God wanted us to have all of these things. But then I also started thinking about God's constancy. See, God created all of this incredible 
creation. And he created, and, and, and some of you really like to go out into creation, and you like to hike, and you like to boat, and you like to fish, and you like to do all those things. And you get to see all of that wonderful variety. And if you don't get out, uh, kids, especially, if you like to stay at home and play Fortnite all day, go outside and look at God's variety. Look at the things that God has created. But also realize that God created everything in order. God created air for us to breathe, and we are able to breathe that air every single moment of the day. God created the tides, and we watched the tides as they came in and out every single day. We went down, sometimes it was low tide, and you could go really far out into the ocean, and sometimes it was high tide, and the water came almost up to the, to the reeds. It was just just phenomenal to watch God's constancy. We saw that full moon, and we saw as the moon started to change just a little bit because the earth and the moon and the movement of the planets and all of these things are constant. They are created by God. And while I was down there, and, and I, I would take my Bible down to the beach sometimes, I'd sit in my chair and I was reading, I've, I'm doing this, chronological read through the Bible. It's a one-year plan. And I'm in Psalms. I actually finished Psalms yesterday. But I'm reading these Psalms. And these weren't the Psalms of David. A lot of people say, oh, the Psalms, the Psalms, they, they were written by David. They were not all written by David. These Psalms were written by a group of people called the Sons of Korah. And as I read through these Psalms, and as I thought about who Korah was, and we're going to look at who Korah was um, here this morning, but and, and just reading through these psalms and understanding that the sons of Korah were writing about our hope in God. And the reason that we can hope in God is because He is constant. Because His love never fails. Because His protection never fails. And we are able to experience that love and that peace and that hope that comes from the constancy of God. And I want to talk about the sons of Korah this morning a little bit. Um, sons of Korah were descendants of a man named Korah. And just because they were Korah's sons didn't mean that their father's story was their story. And this is really important because Korah was not a really good person. Um, in the book of Numbers, we start to read about some inner conflicts happening in the people of Israel. They've just left Egypt. They're traveling to the promised land. And there were many instances that we read about in the Bible where people started grumbling against Moses and against God. Well, we don't have any water to drink. We don't have any food to eat. Why couldn't we just stay slaves in Egypt? At least we had onions and, and celery and fish. And they started these grumblings, and people were trying to basically outguess God. They're trying to figure out, well, what is God doing to us? He's trying to kill us. That's what He's trying to do. And they started these grumblings. And in Numbers chapter 13, they finally reached the promised land. They reached this land called Canaan. And this is the land that God had promised to Abraham. Like 
years and years and decades ago. And they finally reach this land. God says it's a land flowing with milk and honey. It is a good land and I'm going to give it to you. And so he tells Moses, send some spies into the land to kind of spy out. Take a look at the land that I'm getting ready to give you before I send you up to take over that land. And they do. So Moses picks 12 people to go and they spy out the land. And we read that the spies were there for 40 days. They walked around the land. They looked at the people. They looked at the, the, the vegetation. They looked at the animals. Uh, one part in the Bible says that they took a single cluster of grapes. And that cluster of grapes was so large that two people had to carry it between them on a pole. That's a lot of grapes on a cluster. It was a good land. And the spies, finally, after 40 days, they came back and they said, we can't take this land. At least 10 of them out of the 12 said, we can't take this land. The people are like giants. They'd squash us like bugs. We look like ants in their eyes. That's what they said. Or grasshoppers or little bugs in their eyes. We can't possibly take this land. But two of the spies, Joshua and Caleb, they came back and they said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. And the reason they said that we are well able to overcome it is because they remembered all of the things that God had done for Israel already, rescued them from the hands of the Egyptians, brought them across the Red Sea by parting it in half so they could walk over on dry ground. He gave them water. He gave them all of these things he provided for them. And Caleb and Joshua said, yes, with God's help, we can do this. And the other ten kept saying, no, 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 we can't. And guess who Israel listened to? They listened to the ten. They listened to the people that said, no, we're going to die if we try to take up this land. God didn't like that answer very much. God was going to be with them to go up and take this land, but Israel said, no, God, we're not going to do it. And so God said, your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness for 40 years. Then shall suffer for your faithlessness until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness. According to the number of the days in which you have spied out the land, 40 days, a year for each day, you shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. I am not happy with you, Israel. I am not happy that you did not trust that I could take this land for you. And since you don't want to go up and take the land, you don't get to go up and take the land. You're going to wander for 40 years. And we read a little bit further how Israel decided after that, uh, right after that, to say, oh, well, yeah, no, God, never mind about the 40 years. We're going to go up and we're going to try to conquer this land. And they went up and they were utterly defeated because God was not with them while they were trying to to do this thing. So they wandered for 40 years. So just a little while later, this is in Numbers chapter 14, just two chapters later in Numbers chapter 16, we read about this guy named Korah. 
Korah was a Levite. The Levites were the people who were servants in the tabernacle. They served God. They uh, did most of the work of worship and sacrifice. And we read about this guy, Korah, and his friends, Dathan and Abiram. And they're from the tribe of Reuben. They're not even Levites. But in Numbers chapter 16, verses 2 to 3, we read, They rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. And look what Korah and, uh, and, and his friends did. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. For in all in the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Korah was upset. Korah was not happy that Moses and Aaron were the leaders. Korah and his friends started a lot of the grumblings that were going on as Israel was coming through the wilderness. And they said, you're not our leader anymore. God wants all of us to be leaders. Now, I don't know if you've ever taken a leadership class, but if you've ever taken a leadership class, one of the first things you learn is that if, there are, if everybody's a leader, nothing will ever get done. But Korah's here saying, you're not our leader anymore. And we could talk about this. this uh, that's a whole other set of sermons about uh, Korah and, and all of his reasonings. But just know that his declaration did not set well with God. Because God was the one that chose Moses and Aaron. He's the one that said, Moses is going to be my voice. Aaron is going to be my voice. They're going to lead you out of the land of Egypt. They're going to lead you through the wilderness. They're going to lead you to the promised land. Korah, you didn't lead anything. Your friends didn't lead anything. If anything, you tried to impede that leadership. You tried to impede Israel from getting to where I wanted them to be. The next several verses talk about this big showdown between these uh, 250 men led by Korah and their followers and uh, between Moses and God. And just a spoiler alert, when you go back home and you read uh, Numbers chapter 16, God wins. But verses 23 to 27 tell us, after God wins, after God shows that Moses and Aaron are his chosen leaders, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him, and he spoke to the congregation saying, Depart, please. He's a very polite leader. Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with all their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents together with their wives, their sons, and their little ones. And we notice here that Moses, well, Moses says, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. This is not something I'm doing. This is something that the Lord has given me to do. 
If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. If they die of natural causes, even if they die of disease, if they die of something that all other people die from, then I'm not who I say I am. I'm a liar. God did not really send me. But if the Lord creates something new, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up and all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. And that's what happened. But you'll notice, we go back here, only Dathan and Abiram brought their families out to the, to the entrance of the tent. Dathan and Abiram brought their entire family to stand in defiance of God. Our family will not follow Moses. Our family will accept whatever consequences we have to, to accept because we're not going to follow Moses. But what they're really saying is we're not going to follow the commands of God. We're not going to follow the person that God put in charge. Korah didn't come out. We don't see Korah here. And we don't see his family here. And that's something to be uh, remembering for just a little bit later. So God opened up the earth. And all of these 250 men, these two families, fell into the earth alive. And then God closed the earth up over them. But we read in Numbers 26.11 that the sons of Korah did not die. Abiram's family died. Dothan's family died. Why didn't the sons of Korah And I was studying this and looking at this like for over a week. Googling and using commentaries and things like that. And there's so many different reasons why people think that the sons of Korah did not die. There's one really kind of out there theory that the sons of Korah did fall into the ground and then repented and God put a little ledge there and caught them and then spit them back up. But I don't read that in the scripture, so I'm not quite sure where that comes from. But the sons of Korah were apparently not with their father. And when I say they were not with their father, they were not with their father physically. They were not there in his tent with them. But they were not with their father. They disagreed with Korah. The sons of Korah said, we know that Moses was appointed by God. And we're going to stand against our father if it means standing for God. And so the sons of Korah did not die. We read a little bit further and a little bit further about Korah and his sons. And we learn that the sons of Korah eventually 
became faithful servants in the house of God. They became the gatekeepers and the custodians of God's house. It was called the, the tabernacle at the time. It was a big tent. They could take it down. They could carry it where they were going next. They could set it back up. And the sons of Korah helped with that. And they were also the guards, the gatekeepers. They made sure that the enemy didn't enter into the house of God. They made sure that Israelites who weren't supposed to be there didn't enter into the house of God. They followed God's commandments. These sons of Korah. They served God faithfully for the rest of their lives. And something else that we learn about the sons of Korah is that they become songwriters for the people of Israel. And they are said to have written 11 of the 150 psalms that we see in our Bible. One of the psalms they wrote was Psalm 42. And in Psalm 42 we read, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him. My God, my salvation and my God. Hope in God, for I shall praise Him. My salvation and my God. It is thought by Bible historians that this psalm was written very soon after the events in Numbers chapter 16, when Korah and Dothan and Abiram disobeyed God. And their souls were cast down. They lost their father. It's likely they lost a lot of their family. And they were sad about that. How many of you would be sad if you lost your families? Your soul would be cast down. You would be living in turmoil. But the sons of Korah say, hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. God is going to be there for you. God is going to be able to give you peace because we hope in him. Sons of Korah also wrote the 44th through 49th Psalms and Psalms 84, 85, 87, and 88. And each of these Psalms, the sons of Korah acknowledge God for who he is and for what he has done for them, for Israel, for the world. They did not see God as their father had seen God, as someone to be overthrown, as someone to take power from. They saw God simply as the one who is constant. The one who gives us hope. Psalm 44, they, not, they acknowledge God as their redeemer. For our soul is bowed down to the dust, our belly clings to the ground. Rise up, come to our help. Redeem us for the sake of your steadfast love. God, we have hope that you will pick us up, that you will save our souls because you love us. In Psalm 46, or 45, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of uprightness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And this is always the way that God has been, the way He is, and the way He will be. He loves righteousness. He hates wickedness. But 
He has also given us a way out of wickedness. All humans are, by definition, wicked. We are evil. God gives us a way out by his power, by his throne, and he gives us hope that we do not have to live in wickedness forever. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. How many of us have used this verse as comfort? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We have hope even through the darkest things that we go through because God is our refuge and our strength. Psalm 47, God is the great King. Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy for the Lord the Most High is to be feared, a great King over all the earth. God is in control. And we see all of the things that are happening in the world today. And I've got news for you. There is nothing new under the sun. All of the horrible things that we see going on today were going on since creation fell. It has a different face. It has a different name. It has a different look. But it's the same thing. And God is the great king over all the earth. He knows what's going on. And he is in control. And the sons of Korah know this. And part of the reason they know this is because God saved them. God could just as easily have said, well, you know what, your, your sons of Korah, you go in there with Korah and that's it. But he didn't. God saved the sons of Korah. Psalm 48 Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts, go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God. And God, our God forever and ever, he will guide us forever. You could, you could replace Zion with the world. Walk around the world. Look at everything that God is in control of and tell the next generation, this is our God. We have a responsibility to the next generation. Teenagers, you're going to have a responsibility to your next generation to tell them who God is, that our God will guide us forever. Psalm 49. Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. We can't save ourselves. Nobody can. I cannot give up my life to you and expect that you will have eternal life with God. It doesn't work that way. No man can ransom another. 
but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to ransom us, to rescue us, to buy us back from Satan. We sold ourselves to Satan in the Garden of Eden, and for 6,000 years, God's been working to buy us back. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do just that. Because the Bible does tell us, if we are not children of God, we are children of Satan. We belong to him. We belong to him. God doesn't want that. God wants to buy us back. And Jesus Christ died to accomplish that. Psalm 84, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 85, steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs up from the ground and righteousness looks down from the sky. Yes, the Lord will give what is good. Lord will give what is good. And finally, every day I call upon you, O Lord, I spread out my hands to you. This is worship that God deserves for us to spread out our hands to him. Do you know what spreading out our hands does? It leaves us completely open. When we're like this, that's a defensive position. We don't want anybody in. When we spread our hands out, we're saying, God, I am yours. God, I surrender. God, I open myself to you. All of these things were written by the sons of a man who would rebel against God. Some of us come from families where they are openly rebellious against God. That does not have to be our story. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Refuse to stand with wickedness and stand up with the Father. If you read all of these psalms of the sons of Korah, and I, and I encourage you, in all of your Bibles, you can look at the little headings under the psalms, and it will say something like, an Asaph of Korah, or an Asaph of the sons of Korah. Read them. There's only 11. They're not that long. It's not like Psalm 119. But if you read them, as a whole, you first feel and experience the heartbreak and the fear and the suffering that the sons of Korah felt because they didn't have their family anymore. But their family was standing up for wickedness. And so they find their hope in God. And the sons of Korah just beautifully express the whole human experience of struggling in a broken world while holding on to hope in God.
They talk about all of the difficulties that are faced by God's people. They acknowledge pain. And that's something that sometimes we don't do as Christians. We, ha- we see somebody in pain and, and we kind of just, well, God will take care of you. God will do something. Of course, we know that the something that God wants to do is for us to be involved in that person's life and help to alleviate their pain and alleviate their suffering. And in the fall, we're going to talk about what that looks like as we walk through the book of Titus. But God wants us to be the people that alleviate that pain. And the sons of Korah tell us to direct our focus toward the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. And the the message of each psalm is, is clear. Hope is found in God. Hope is found in God. Hope for peace. Hope for comfort. Hope for salvation. Hope for protection against all of the things that come against us in this world. But there's one other thing. Jesus Christ created His church. And He created it for specific reason. Jesus Christ wants us to be like the sons of Korah, holding fast to the hope in God's promises. Even when life is uncertain, and we all know life is uncertain, Jesus wants us to hold fast to the promises of God. He wants us to find solace in God's presence. And just as importantly, everyone who knows Jesus Christ can and should be a beacon of hope to a world that is in desperate need of finding the redeeming love of God. Will you be that hope? Will you walk out of these doors this morning and live your lives this week showing shining the hope of God. The hope of redemption. The hope of eternal life. That is what God is calling us to. And we can hope in God because He is constant. He is faithful. And most of all, He loves us. He wants us. He wants to have us spend eternity with Him. That is the message of hope. That we should be shining into the world every day. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the rain that makes things grow and the sun that 
nourishes the plants, the animals, everything. Father, we thank you that you are constant, that you are faithful. We thank you that we don't have to wonder, well, what's God thinking? We don't have to wonder, well, what's God going to do next? Is God going to throw a temper tantrum? Is God going to be happy with us today and not happy with us tomorrow? Father, we know that you are faithful in the desire to want us. You are faithful in the desire to want to see humanity saved, reclaimed, redeemed from evil. Father, help us to walk into the world today, this week, every day, being a beacon of hope to a broken world, being a beacon of hope to those who feel hopeless. Let us be a reflection of you, a God who wants them, a God who loves them. We thank you for all these things. We ask for all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As you leave here this morning, as you go about your work, as you go about playing with friends, hanging out with relatives, over the summer, be that beacon of hope to them. Some people that are in your circle of influence don't know God. Some are hostile towards God. You don't have to be hostile back. You just need to show God and the hope that we can have in His faithfulness and His love. God bless you this week.